Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is The Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Well, Nathan, thanks so much uh, for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, to introduce you, it's Nathan Reynolds, currently the VP of Engineering of Review Trackers at InMoment, which was recently acquired just a couple months ago here. Um, And you're Chicagoland uh, local for a long time now at this point? Yeah, I I grew up in Southern Illinois and um, worked in St. Louis for a couple of years, but realized that uh, to accelerate accelerate my career. I had to move to Chicago and live there for seven years. And then during COVID moved to Southwest Michigan. So right now I'm about an hour and a half away from the city. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I I think that's, um, if there's any silver lining of, of COVID, I think it's much more remote flexibility and people being able to move a little bit away from, from, you know, some of the mega cities. Yeah, we have, uh, we enjoy the outdoors quite a bit. And so we live on a couple acres and right next to the lake. So, um, you know, it's, it's a nice, a nice lifestyle we have. So, well, I'd love to hear a little bit about, I guess, review trackers as a whole, and then kind of what the team that you oversee, I guess, VP of engineering, you probably oversee most of the teams there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've been at review trackers for, you know, six years or so. Um, I, uh, was at Avant for a few years before that. Um, I left Avant whenever they were having some financial trouble in 2016. I happened to know, uh, one of the co-founders of review trackers Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, made the, made a transition pretty quickly. Um, from there, uh, I was an individual contributor for a couple months and then took over the team and then scaled it to around 30 engineers. Um, and then, you know, still doing hiring today and, and continuing to grow through, um, the acquisition, which, um, which is good. And, um, it's interesting because we're actually continuing to operate as, um, like an independent business within in moment, uh, which, you know, is, 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 it makes the transition quite a bit easier. Um, but as far as like what we do, uh, we aggregate reviews for typically point of sale businesses and, um, we do natural language processing on that data. We allow those businesses to solicit their customers for reviews through emails, SMS kiosk type campaigns. Um, then we have, um, a local listings management tool, we also have a tool to allow reviews to be used as marketing um, opportunity through like mm-hmm. widgets on your website. So we're all about online reputation and helping businesses manage that. And then what's the, I mean, it may be a little different now that um, since the acquisition, but what's the tech stack generally look like there? Yeah. So in the back end, we're primarily using Ruby microservices written in with Sinatra. We have a Golang API, all Postgres databases. Redis for caching and um, RabbitMQ for for messaging and queuing, and then on the front end, uh, React and Redux. And then I I forgot to mention what our team looks like. So uh, currently we have five 
product engineering teams, we have a DevOps and test engineering team, and then we have a small data science team. And what was your pathway into technology? Um, I guess, how'd you, were you, you know, traditional computer science route? Did you kind of pick it up on your own or what, what did that look like? Yeah. So in, in college, I was majoring in um, atmospheric sciences and math. And uh, I had an internship with the federal government um, working for the United States Geological Survey. And I was doing some data modeling using MATLAB. And I had to get into Python for some like parsing of data that I was working with. And so from there, I was like, oh, I, I think this is a lot more interesting than focusing on like a science-y career path. And so I just started to teach myself web development and um, specifically uh, some automation. And so I uh, made my way into uh, you know, software development from there and worked at a couple different startups, did some consulting on the side and just try to like sharpen my skills as much as I could in um, like the backend DevOps, test engineering and product management. Nice. That's awesome. And was, was that your first um, like full-time role was in a startup? Yeah. Out of school. Yeah. I worked for a business in St. Louis called um, Juggle. Uh, dot com and then um, they also had a couple different startupy type businesses that they were they spun out of that. So um, their biggest one is called Crowdsource, and they recently got acquired, I believe, a year or two ago. Um, but I had been long gone by like five or six years at that point. So um, you know, I, I got into it right out of school, and my parents uh, they work for the government, so it was quite, uh, I think nerve wracking for them to see <laughs> you know, working at like a volatile business, but, um, you know, that one was good. The next one I worked at, uh, there were times when the paychecks came a couple days late and sure. I didn't stick around there very long. Um, but you know, uh, that, that was a good learning experience. And then I landed at Avant, which, um, I got there relatively early and they grew like crazy. Um, and so, you know, that, that was a great experience working there too. Yeah. Did you enjoy the kind of going into a startup right away? Cause I know some people love it and they say like, oh, you, you know, you, it's almost like dog years. You learn so much in a short period of time because you wear a lot of hats. And then some people hate it because they're like, yeah, well, there's not as much support as maybe a larger company if you're early career engineer. Yeah. So uh, I guess answering this question, uh, I'm going to go back to my internship working for the USGS and uh, something I, I didn't really like about working there was how much red tape there was to get something done. And I had to go through multiple people to uh, get approval to work on something. And then you had to bill your hours specifically to specific projects and um, go into a startup where um, your time was more, um, I guess, focused on value that you can provide in different areas. And uh, that that was a lot more engaging for me personally. And so uh, from there, I, was, I just kind of like fell in love and I love working at, you know, medium um, sized businesses that continue to show growth. And then you like continue to learn along the way as you're scaling. So 
Um, that's, you know, that's my perspective. I know everyone thinks about it differently though. Yeah. Well, I, I've certainly seen that echo to my own career. Once you're at a place, it's a little bit more stable than maybe the worried about the paychecks of uh, it, you know, takes a little bit of the pressure off to be like, okay, I can relax, but also continue to grow, right. And make an impact. Yeah, exactly. I, so I usually ask folks, how did you land your current role? But I know you mentioned the the acquisition and you kind of talked about joining review trackers. Um, so can you share a little bit more about what the acquisition process looked like? Because I'm sure it's something that you know people have gone through. I know there's a lot of stress, especially in engineering sometimes. I think people are like, what is this going to look like if they already have an engineering team? Is our product going to combine with theirs? Are we going to stay our own? So can you just share a little bit about that process? Yeah, so this was the first time that I was on the... Um, being acquired side, uh, I'd been on the other side before. Um, and yeah, a lot of those questions ran through my mind while, you know, we were going through the process. So, um, you know, as head of engineering, uh, I was pulled in relatively early, uh, around like five, uh, five months or so before the deal closed. Um, my CEO came to me and I, I report to the CEO um, and said, you know, we're looking at different options um, for either like investment or acquisition. And um, there's this business that seems pretty interesting for us to partner with. And so mm-hmm. um, went into a few conversations with uh, some of their like tech leads and architects and CTO, and also um, they're owned by a private equity firm, the, the business that acquired us. And so there were some consultants um, on these calls and they, they had uh, quite a list of, of questions. So um, I kind of, I'm not sure um, if, you know, many engineers are familiar with what an RFP looks like from like a customer. So customers come in and they ask questions about your security and infrastructure and, and things like that. And, Um, in order to sign deals, like you have to often satisfy them with the answers that you provide. And so, um, they can be anywhere from like 10 to like 200 plus questions. And, um, I'd say like the acquisition, uh, process was that times 10. So, uh, you know, I, I had scripted all of the RFP questions out like years ago for our sales engineers and sales consultants to like, um, make it an easy process for them so that we don't have to be involved. But, you know, they, um, in moment and MDP went pretty deep into things like what versions of like all of your libraries are you using? And so I had to compile like close to 700, um, like gems and different, you know, libraries that we were using and then specific versions. And, um, then of course, like all of our SDLC processes and, um, getting into like even team breakdown and team retention. And so, you know, they're not just acquiring a business, but they want to acquire something that can continue to be sustained and then, um, you know, iterated on and, um, I, I would imagine like somewhat shaped in a way that they would like in the future. So, or at least that they've agreed on to, um, to like frame and, and continue to, to work in, in, in the future. So went through, I'd say 12 hours or so of in-person 
calls. And then, then we had like a lot of documentation that we had to fill out, which took a couple of weeks to go through. And then, um, you know, then we sat back and, and waited, uh, and, you know, there were some negotiations that were going back and forth, um, between, you know, our, our CEO and, and them, and they worked through different things. And then there was a, um, a get together, uh, with them about a week or so before we announced to the company. And so we got in person, met a lot of these people that we had seen on, on calls. I got to bring my principal engineer to that. And, um, it was, you know, a meet and greet and then a social time where, um, you know, personally I was like, well, what do you want us to do? And what can we start doing to get us prepared for what you want? And, uh, they're like, no, this is just like a time for us to get to know each other. We'll, t- we'll handle this in like a couple of months from now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that was a nice process that we went through there. And then we announced it to the business and, um, you know, people were pretty ner- on the engineering team. I'd say like probably pretty nervous about mm-hmm. like 50% were concerned. 25 were excited and 25 were like, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Sure. Um, but you know, t- over time, it's kind of going back to what I said, they haven't, uh, you know, been pushing us in a direction that's different than the trajectory that we're on. We're still working on our roadmap that we agreed to, uh, a couple, you know, months, like a couple months to prior to the process starting. And uh, it's been a, a great experience so far, but now it's like getting, integration set up between our two businesses mm. and then just planning for the future and like what next year's roadmap is going to be and and then so on and so on. Yeah. Well, that seems interesting. And it probably a totally different set of challenges than, than what you're used to, right? Because now you've got always kind of this other entity that's at least involved in the thinking, right? The process. Yeah. It's um, yeah. The last uh, well, we got acquired in, in June and it's early July now. So the last seven months have been pretty heavy. Um, and it it seems like it hasn't backed off yet. I I'd imagine we still have a couple more months, uh, of, you know, planning that we're going to have to do. And then it won't seem like I'm doing two jobs, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun though. Uh, and, you know, really great experience. So like I tell my engineers this all the time, if they're working in something that they haven't done before, like write it down, put it on your resume so you don't forget it. And so, you know, this is like what I kind of see as a moment for me too, where it's great experience um, and it's a lot of work, but um, I'm learning a lot, which is why I'm in engineering in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I tell folks that's the fun of the job is you wake up on Monday and you go, well, I don't know exactly what's going to happen this week, but probably going to learn something new. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, during this process and even before, um, I'm assuming you've been hiring and then you've been doing interviews actively. Yeah. So, um, we had a hiring freeze from around the start of COVID until August or so of last year. And then from there, uh, we've, we really turned it up. Um, there were some big things that we want to, wanted to, and, and have been accomplishing this year that required 
expanding our team quite a bit. So um, currently we, we grew our team about 40 to 60% in the last year. Um, so yeah, we've done about two engineers a month, um, since October. Um, and we're not using external recruiters. So they were either like organics or referrals. Um, and you know, that's how I spend quite a bit of my time is, you know, going through LinkedIn or tapping into my network and trying to find people that I think would be a really good fit for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a big investment, but I think it pays off, right? Especially it pays off often in the I think the quality of the the folks coming through, but also um, you know, saving twenty-five grand or fifty grand on recruiter fees every time you make a hire is, is nice as well, right? Yeah. Worth, the, worth some LinkedIn messages. <laughs> yeah. The way that um, you know, I I think this is obvious, but it, it's not always said, but if you do a good job in your hiring you are making your life so much easier for the next, you know, amount of tenure that these people are are staying. And so that's something that we take very seriously. And I know a lot of other businesses do too, but um, I've been very fortunate to hire great people that make my role a lot easier than it could be. Well, what are you typically evaluating for during that process when, when you're doing technical interviews? Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe I could walk through the interview process and then we can kind of talk about what we're looking for at different stages in that process. Yeah. That's so great. the, you know, the first round is, you know, that someone applies or we have a resume and we schedule a 30 minute virtual call. Usually those calls take around um, 10 to 15, 20 minutes. And uh, we spend, you know, the first like five minutes, just trying to understand like what their current role looks like and who they're working with. And are they doing testing? Are they deploying themselves? Um, and that gives us an understanding of like the mentorship they have. And um, if they're working with product and design teams, if, you know, there's people more senior than them that give them feedback. And then it, you know, would give us a good insight of like how much work that we're going to have to do on non-technical things to get them to um, be able to work well in our environment. And then, you know, I try to get an understanding of why they're leaving their role. What are they looking for in their next role? Does mm -hmm. that culturally align? And then, um, you know, I just open it up for questions. And then that's usually where we spend a lot of our time in back and forth conversation about the business or, um, you know, what their career aspirations are and, and then of course there's just kind of like normal job things like, do you, are you guys doing flex hours? Um, I'm yeah. just making sure that you're remote, things like that. And that those calls are usually with you. Yeah, they are. So, um, I know that's kind of a, non like an untypical process, but, um, if I have the time on my calendar, um, leading into the week, then I'll do them. Otherwise I'll assign them to one of my managers or, um, senior engineers, but I'd say, about 90% of them are done by me. And then in high volume times, um, probably around like 40% of them. So uh, from there, if we move forward, it goes to a take home challenge and we have two different, well, we have a, a test engineering one, a DevOps one, and then a backend and front end one. Um, and so I, I can talk about the backend and front end one, but the 
the front end one, we give a, um, like a design and then a spec and then they implement it and, you know, we get it back, review it. The, the backend one is a spec. We just ask that they, um, do something that's very relevant to our business. And, and I didn't mention this in the front end one, but they're essentially designing a page to convey review data. And then the backend one is like collecting some review data from, um, a site. So it's, uh, we've, we've always tried to have the theme that resonates with the business. And then that also helps us later in the process um, because we're very familiar contextually with what they're doing. And, you know, we've often gone like many steps past what they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that that's interesting to have, you know, their cons, their perspective on how to solve that problem. And then it can also lead into like business questions that we're also very familiar with from the problem that they were solving. And it allows us to see like how they're thinking, about like different opportunity with the product that they're building. Um, so once we get that back, we make a decision whether to move forward to the final interview. Um, the final interview is two hours long. The first 45 minutes is technical um, and we use that code challenge in that interview. And so um, we, we obviously have a, an understanding of what they've done already we ask them to change something or manipulate something or like, and then they'll have to like change their tests to that. They'll have to like research on how to figure out what they need to do. And so that gives us a really good understanding of how they go about solving problems, how they communicate about what they're doing. And sometimes we'll give like broad spec to see like how they ask clarifying questions. So we try to mimic a real world working environment as much as possible. And, you know, you can use Google, you can use Stack Overflow, whatever you want to like try to solve that problem. And that isn't any like negative points to, um, you know, on how we're grading them. It's just, we re- again, we really want to see how the individual works and communicates um, in what is as similar as possible to a day to day. And then from there, 30 minutes with HR and then 30 minutes with two engineers. And that's more of like a, a cultural type interview, seeing how they um, have worked with previous teams and um, their work environment. And then um, 15 minutes with me just to wrap up on the day. And if there's any like outstanding questions on the business or anything like that. So um, that's our whole process. Yeah. Nice. I like that. And I like the, um, that it's tied to the same domain, right? The take home tied to the same domain is actually relevant and that you use that later in the process. Like that helps a lot with people's motivation to do those, those take homes, right? Or sometimes it's, here's some clearly just generic take home. And it's, I think it's very difficult when you're in a job search process to be motivated to do that unless you're like really excited about the company already. Right. Which a lot of times, you know, if you're interviewing multiple places, you might be, but you also might not be, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something that I, I've always tried to do um, whenever I think of something is like try to iterate on a question or something that I ask mm-hmm. to see what sort of response 
I, I get, or if that can lead into like better discussion for something I can like flush out or get, you know, more context on and something that I experimented with recently that gave really positive results was actually in the first round interview, opening up our product and just like demoing it on the spot. Oh, interesting. And, um, that has driven some like really cool conversation about, I've had anything from like suggestions on like, have you thought about this problem or like tackling it this way? Or have you thought about like this perspective on, on this? And then other people are just like, oh my God, I want to work for your company. So, um, I'm going to continue to, to do that. But, um, you know, uh, I also look at this as at interviewing, like an iterative, uh, process that you can improve. So, um, yeah. I love that. I actually, so I give the reverse advice for engineers, especially early career folks that have like maybe a project that's, that's nice that they can show off. I'm like, if you show someone something much more likely to be like invested and I think it's much easier visually to be like, Oh, I get this now than rather than someone describing something or like, Oh, I used X, Y, and Z, but it's hard to actually see that. Right. If you can point them to something, you'll look at this, right. It's like, Oh, cool. And then you could have a little bit more of an engaging conversation most of the time. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only thing that I I'd say to be careful of in that is make sure you're showing your IP and not yeah, anyone else's sure. IP. Uh, we have run into that before and they're just like, well, just be careful about what you're showing us right now. Sure. Um, but it's your company. Code it, base. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And, um, also, you know, helps convey like their passion and what they're interested in. I guess in the past, when you've done technical interviews, how did you feel um, you performed? Did you love them? You hate them? Somewhere in between? Uh, so that's kind of why our process is what it is, is because personally, uh, and you know, a number of my team members as well, have not had great experiences in technical interviews, whether it's like um, whiteboarding or algorithm questions or um, even like the the interview, the, I, I can't remember the name of the tools, but the things that like screen record you while you're mm-hmm. doing a take home. And so we've put a lot of thought into our process to really make it as real world as possible. So, you know, you're getting a, um, a spec, you kind of like work on your own on it for a while, and then you come back and then you might be asked to change things. And so that's, you know, why our, our process is what it is, but yeah, I've had not fun experiences, technical interviewing, um, in my past for sure. Sure. Do you have any system or process that you use? Like say you're in an interview where you go, Oh, this is not necessarily going terribly well, or I don't have an immediate solution for this question that they've asked me um, that you kind of shift into to make, to try to break down the question. Oh, as, as someone interviewing for a position myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, what I've, I haven't interviewed in quite some time, but what I used to do is just try to ask like as many clarifying questions as possible and trying to break it down and talk through my thought process along the way. Um, cause there might be something that was communicated or misunderstood that would be easily corrected if in, in you know, talking through your thought process. And so that's, that's what I suggest. And we also see 
that happen with uh, candidates that we bring in and and uh, end up hiring most often is you know they there there'll be people that'll get caught up and then they'll just kind of like stay to themselves and like mm. I would imagine going down a rabbit hole. Um, and we try to break them out of that, but then there's also candidates that come in and they do that. And then they're, and we're like, oh no, like you, we're actually asking you to do it this way. And then they're like, oh yeah, it's so obvious. Like, sorry that, you know, I didn't see that, but, um, yeah, that's my suggestion to candidates. Yeah. I think the, um, I do some coaching with recent boot camp grads and like the number one thing that I share with them is like, be talking. I know sometimes it's hard, especially early on to like talk your thought process out loud, but the, the more habit you can get into that, I think the better it is in those interviews. Cause then at least the interview knows where you're at. Right. Versus like it's silent for 45 seconds and it's okay. Are they stuck? Are they just processing? Are they making progress? Like it's very difficult to tell. Yeah, exactly. Agree with you there for sure. Do you have any advice or tips for folks who are going into interviews, be it, you know, the traditional technical interview or something that might be more, more um, like your interview process? I'd say in a process similar to ours, just like try to be yourself as much as possible. And I know there's, you know, the fake it till you make it. Um, and I appreciate that. And I've done that in my career for sure. But, you know, there's also, there's been situations, at least in my interviewing experience, where people do that and they kind of like sell themselves wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think just being like genuine through the process is 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 the best route. I I'm always looking for people that have well that have like low ego, high ceiling, mm -hmm. um, strong sense of ownership, and you know people that convey those characteristics through, you know, their personality and the way that they like carry themselves and, and talk about their achievements and accomplishments. Um, you know, that usually, um, leads to people getting further through the interview process for us. Um, even if they don't have all of the technical skills, because it, it shows us that this is someone that we can teach and, and level them up pretty easily. Um, and, and so that's really why I'm like, try to be as genuine as possible. Cause you know, it, it, you may not have all of those years of experiences or like frameworks used, but, um, if you show that you're coachable, that'll get you pretty far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I've geared my like fake it advice more towards like fake the confidence if possible, right? Like that's yeah. the part that maybe is useful to fake. Like if you're, that the more like, Oh, I I'm happy to be here. Right. Like that, that goes a long way. Um, don't fake knowing, you know, Postgres, if you've never touched SQL before. Right. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll just be honest. Yeah. It'll make you look really bad later on right. in the interview process when we figure that out. Right. right. <laughs> Especially when I think sometimes it's the context of like, it's a, it's a follow-up interview when someone goes, okay, so, you know, you said you were pretty confident in this and they have a whole list of questions prepared and you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have different advice or additional advice for folks that maybe this is their first job search or their second job search, like they're earlier in their career? Yeah. So um, I didn't have a education in computer science or um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, which is like a lot of people coming out of boot camps and people that are trying to do career shifts. And 
the biggest thing that I would say is like, don't get discouraged by the amount of times that you're going to get rejected. But at the same time, like have this context that the junior roles that we get have about 10 times more applicants Mm. than like the mid and senior level roles. And so you, you also got to realize that you're going against quite a bit of competition in contrast. So, um, try to differentiate yourself as much as possible because you are going against people with CS degrees and you're also going against all your classmates in your boot camp, and you're probably going against people who have real world experience too. And so if you can show that you are technically able to learn different concepts and that you've got a good head on your shoulders and you would be a good teammate to work with, that's what I would really focus on. And yeah, just don't get discouraged. And once you do get your first role, um, your second and your third role will be so much easier to get um, in contrast. Yeah, absolutely. I used to, um, folks used to ask me when I worked at uh, a boot camp, like, I don't know if this is a perfect role for me. Like, should I take it? And I'm like, if, if you don't have other options on the table, like take this, even if you're only there for a year, right? It'll make getting whatever that perfect role is like, like the second job is the one that you should be like, Oh, I've, I've set my sights really high for this. One, right. The first one, maybe it's figure out, you know, how to, how to work in this environment, how to actually be a software engineer. And maybe you fall in love with it. Maybe you don't. Right. But it, you know, get something under your belt makes it much easier. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, you do want to make sure you're, you're working in a technology that's going to like continue to grow yeah. yourself, but as far as like the specific business or, you know, even like the size of the business, I, I wouldn't get too caught up on that because you do just need to have that professional experience, which will continue to make you more marketable. Um, but do try to put in at least a year um, jumping around doesn't speak well to your next employer who. Mm is then looking at a bunch of like six month intervals at a role. And then you're like, we're hiring you and you're like, okay, we're gonna have to onboard you for three months. And then we're going to have you for three months. Yeah. So just try to stick it out at least for a year, even if it isn't the the best environment to work in. Yeah, totally. Well, any, any other um, advice or anything else you wanted to mention? No, I, I mean, I, I think I, 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 I used to go to um, dev boot camp in Chicago whenever it was around. And I gave like talks pretty similar to the point that I, I just said about realize your competition and realize how you need to differentiate yourself. And I think I gave that talk there a few times to like new people coming out and it's interesting to see them in the workforce now and uh, you know, them either applying or reaching out and referencing that. But uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else. Just like I said, try to be genuine, try to show that you're coachable and are a good, you, you will make a good teammate and that'll take you pretty far. You know, what I love is the, now there's, you know, dev bootcamp was, was long enough or started long enough back that there's a whole slew of like managers, VPs, even CTOs who came from boot camps now. And it's kind of shifted, I think the attitude towards a lot of bootcamp graduates, because, you know, if you're the CTO and you're a bootcamp graduate, I think in general, you're going to be more open to hiring bootcamp graduates than, you know, um, somebody who doesn't come from that background. So it's been really interesting, especially in Chicago to see that shift over the last couple of years. Yeah. I like that too. Um, 
personally, at, uh, you know, coming from an untraditional background, we don't have any requirements on education or, um, or anything like that. So uh, I've seen that even in our hiring uh, process from my personal experience too. But, you know, there's other places out there that still have those education and GPA requirements and, um, you know, that's okay. It's working for them. Yeah. I, sometimes I think maybe the, you know, the, the prop trading shop, maybe they, they want those GPA things or the, the degree, cause I don't know, it's a different type of work a lot of times. And I guess they can, they can hold people to that standard, but a lot of, um, product shops, you don't necessarily need <laughs> someone who's got the, the, you know, math degree to, to make it work. So exactly. Cool. Well, before we take our break, um, and, and then come back for the, the interview portion, any interview horror stories, um, that you want to share, um, that maybe people can relate to of, of thinking, Oh, you know, <laughs> if, if Nathan's been in this um, situation, he's a VP of engineering at a successful company, uh, you know, maybe it won't be so bad for, for me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's been situations whenever I was interviewing where, you know, I have had a, you know, back in the in-person office days where there's a computer set up and you've got a keyboard and there's like two people sitting next to you and they're looking at you over their shoulder Yikes. and they're like, do this or find the bug in this and, uh, find the bug and fix the bug. And then, you know, you're sweating because yeah. you know, it could also be like warm in the office and then you might feel their breath on your shoulder and just like, oh my God, this is like, the, this is hell right now. So I, I've been in, a, in circumstances like that and, um, you know, that's shaped our interview process because of those bad experiences. So um, if you find yourself in one of those, I wouldn't say the company is bad. It's just in the moment, just take a deep breath talk out loud and that'll, that'll provide as, as much help in the moment, I think is what you can get. So try to stick with that advice. Yeah. I think I, I started sweating just hearing you talk about that. <laughs> I, I guess I've been lucky it is in like a COVID zoom era. I've never done an in-person face-to-face technical. I mean, I do feel like it's a whole different oh. level of stress. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, those weren't fun. Well, let's let's take a break here. Then um, we'll come back and move into the the interview portion. All right, all right. Thank you. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com/slash/taylordorsid or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.